Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. Today, my guest is Jerry Cohn, a prominent realtor and uh, developer, I guess was a good word for it, who uh, has been a longtime resident of uh, Shelter Island. And uh, I guess my first question about all this, Jerry, is... um, what uh, I've called the elephant in the room on Shelter Island, which is, what is it, 11 p.m. when the ferries end? When is the last ferry? You should know that. Oh, the ferry to your land, which is over on the east end, is on the weekend, I think, uh, 1.30. Oh, that, that late? Only, only if in Greenport is it, mm-hmm. the, you know, the north ferry, 12 o'clock, midnight. In the summer, so um, I remember that pretty well. Pretty is well, is pretty that something well. that is a big deal for people? What do you mean by a big deal? Oh, like it's in their heads, and they've got to remember that they can't be late. Well, then, it, then it's not in their head. No, <laughs> I, I think after a while, it's uh, it's 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 actually salvation. If you miss it, you stay over in Greenport. I see. How long have you been coming to Greenport, to uh, Shelter Island? We started visiting uh, Shelter Island, and then we we wound up uh, with our first, uh, which was my partner uh, in business, and I bought the uh, Deering Harbor Inn and converted it into a co-op. And we we actually kept one of the units and... uh, started to really uh, enjoy the island. What uh, do you like best about it? I, you know, I think it's the beauty of it, the natural beauty. Yeah. Uh, the, In my opinion, the isolation from the, the mobs and crowds that take place uh, even now in Greenport on a weekend. It's so busy and you come, as soon as you get on the ferry, you're, uh, you're very relaxed and yet you're so close to the east or the, you know, or the north. Uh, tell me a little bit about your career, how, where you grew up and how you got into uh, development and real estate. Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, you can take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take Brooklyn out of the boy. Uh, at a very young age, I moved, uh, we, the family moved back, to, to, it moved to Manhattan was my father and mother had a dress shop on 14th Street. And uh, we lived in an apartment house on 2nd Avenue uh, and 11th Street, of course, the street from the historic St. Mark's Church. We had a uh, a park view over a cemetery. <laughs> but it's this famous cemetery where Peter Stuyvesant was born. And uh, I stayed there until... Uh, I was uh, probably about eight or nine years old. I went to public school 
through the fourth grade. And then we moved to Brooklyn. And, and I started uh, school again in Brooklyn at uh, uh, public school uh, 199. And uh, you went off to college or did you go off to war? I remember you telling me about something. I, I actually went off to high school. I skipped a lot, but not that much. <laughs> I went to James Madison High School, which was uh, where our former uh, justice of the Supreme Court, uh, Mrs. Ginsburg, graduated. And um, what did you do after uh, after that? After that, I uh, I wound up uh, deciding what to do about school. My parents told me I could go to whatever college I wanted to, and I could get there with a subway token. <laughs> so I picked New York University, and I went in uh, at a very young age because while I was in Manhattan, I was skipping every year, which was a <laughs> difficult situation because it's uh, it's a little tough when when you're in high school and you um, you still haven't gotten your bar mitzvah. So anyway, it, it's um, I went into NYU uh, just before my 16th birthday. After NYU, um, what happened then? Well, I thought I would uh, I would be a, an accountant because that seemed to be a very good profession. I worked after school at college at an accounting firm. And I I just saw these men sitting behind the old calculators. There were no computers. And um, I said, I don't want to do that when I'm 40, 45. <laughs> but I was called up uh, by the reserves. I was in the second infantry battalion combat team. That was interesting. We uh, had eight weeks of basic training, and then <laughs> I was so good, they put me into advanced infantry basic training. This was all at the end of the Korean War. It was almost over. And uh, I thought when we were activated, we might be sent to uh, uh, Korea. And um, it didn't happen, but we got married. It was a crazy thing to do, I guess, but we did it. And then we went to uh, get our orders, and where was I sent? To Iceland. And uh, that was interesting. We were sent there to defend the base because Iceland was one of the largest uh, Air Force bases that we had. When you look at the map, it's just right between the Soviet, what was the Soviet Union, and uh, and England, very strategic. And uh, we were sent there to guard the base. So we had, uh, oh, about a dozen B-52s stationed there. Always had four in the air. And um, we were there to defend the base, you know, maybe the Russians, the Cold War, everything else. Everybody was threatening everybody. But... Uh, by good fortune, uh, flying, we had no jets. So I had to take four flights and I was with an army, uh, an Air Force captain. And uh, 
we were chatting. We were on the plane up and back for four different flights. And I, I didn't see him again until about a month after I got there. And by then I was out in the in the mud under a tent and uh, in a bivouac, which was uh, kind of like an adult uh, scout camp. But uh, it, it was tough. And one day I went into the library to look at a New York newspaper, even they were a couple of weeks old by the time they got there. And I met uh, this lieutenant who I had met on the plane. And he says, what are you doing? I said, what I'm doing, I have a day off. So I'm just gonna stay on base and go uh, maybe to a movie. Maybe get one movie every month. So if you wanted to go to movies, you can only really go once a week or once a month. Anyway, um, I told him that uh, I'm an infantryman defending him. Well, anyway, he said, you know, we have nine men at uh, the base publication office. Did you ever have any newspaper experience? Well, I reported uh, for the old New York Sun, which was a paper no longer existence, on all the Brooklyn High School games. And I was on the newspaper in, uh, in college. He says, can you type? Oh, of course I can type. That was my MOS. I had a type clerk typist MOS. He said, well, I'll, I'm going to see if I can do anything. Maybe... I can get one army person uh, included. I have a, an okay to go to 10 people. I said, oh, that would be great. Well, I forgot about it for a few days. And then one day I get a call from my master sergeant and he says, I want you to meet me at uh, the uh, commanders of the army battalion at his tent. I said, oh, well, gosh, what did I do? He said, I, I don't know. I was just told to bring you right over there. So he looks at me, and I was uh, a specialist, too, like a corporal at that time. And uh, uh, the commander, who's a captain, said, uh, specialist Cohn, uh, we're, we're a little upset. You never told us you had uh, writing newspaper experience. I said, well, no, no, nobody here asked me. He says, you know, we have nobody at the base newspaper. Nobody even knows we're here. And uh, we're defending everybody, but nobody knows it. So I want you to, you've you just been requested to go to headquarters company and uh, they'll tell you what they're going to want you to do. Well, you never saw anybody packed so fast. And I was there that night and all of a sudden, uh, well, I find it's not bad. They're making fresh donuts in the morning and they're doing things almost like uh, officers, not quite, but a lot different than, uh, than the tent schedule. I started talking to a few of the people there who were in my office and they, uh, several were married and they said they have their wives with them up there and they, uh, they live off base in a little town called Keflavik, which um, 
I said, really? So they took me one day, I did a little village, and they had, you know, <laughs> small homes, and people rented out rooms. Well, I had written letters back home to tell uh, Adrian, and of course her parents read them, that I always wondered where the end of the world was, but I got here, <laughs> I don't know how long I'll be able <laughs> to stay here. This is the 24 hours of darkness in the winter for three months and the midnight sun for three months in the summer. Oh. Uh, and uh, then all of a sudden I say, I have you a job lined up and it's a good job and you have to come right here because they're going to fill it soon. Uh, of course, my in-laws and people were not delighted about that. We had been married all of about, I don't know, four months or something like that. One month, excuse me, <laughs> four, four weeks. And uh, uh, it was uh, also, she had to take three flights. And uh, when she arrived, I took her right over to the civil service where they hired people uh, from the States and uh, she got a huge job as the assistant to the base uh, officer for finance. I think they made out all the paychecks and and she was hired right away. And then we had to find a place to live, which we found, which was uh, a one room uh, with shades. Uh, but it was a place to stay, and we lived off base. How many months did you stay in the in Iceland? Oh, in Iceland, it was a one year. Uh, it was a one year uh, assignment. After that, um, uh, did you and did you leave the service and uh, go into business somewhere somehow? Well, what I did was I had finished my my points for. Uh, an MBA at NYU before I got uh, called up and I hadn't done my thesis. So I had to get my thesis done within a year. And uh, I kind of struggled at and delayed because by that time I had decided I don't want to be an accountant because I took a course at NYU with a professor named John White and he was my inspiration. I wanted to be him. He was my, he made the real estate industries. We, we went on field trips and saw buildings under construction. That was the beginning of the new uh, construction boom and residential and, and commercial. Uh, but they didn't hire uh, anyone that didn't have experience. So I went up to his office and I said, look, how can anyone have experience if they can't get hired? He said, well, we don't pay much, you know. I said, look, I, I'm, I'm willing to learn. And I think I was paid about $75 a week as opposed to a starting salary that would have been about 200 at the accounting firm, which I would have accepted. And, but uh, we, I, I, <laughs> the week before I came over there, the head of the, um, of the, <laughs> commercial real estate, took about 12 of the brokers that were there with them and left the company, which was Brown Harris Stevens, and formed his own company. So this young fellow from Columbia and myself, we, we were 
we were the only ones at leasing with one, one older man. And uh, we said, what do we do now? And it, uh, well, we'll take you through a training program. We worked in the appraisal department. We worked as a management department because real estate has a lot of facets. And um, we started getting very creative. We uh, were not a big firm in, uh, in office leasing, but we managed a lot of uh, property for big corporations. They, we, we had an excellent management department. But we had the idea that they were going to build Grand Central City, which was going to be this huge building of almost 2 million square feet. They had they couldn't get started until they had their first tenant. And um, uh, we uh, put out a campaign. We went to the developer and said, I know you're not going to give anybody an exclusive, but we'd like to be authorized to offer the property to you. So the first thing we did, we made up these uh, kind of one-page photos of the projected building. We have been... Uh, you know, authorized by the development to offer the new, you know, Grand Central City. This uh, this was uh, what today is. Um, uh, the, it what, was the Pan Am building. It's now the MetLife building. Yes, this is one of the largest yes. scrapers yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. And so and, you, uh, and, you get... and, and 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 we we sent them out, and believe it or not, we got twelve serious responses because we sent it out to all the people at 230 Park, which all the tower floors would be blocked by this building. Instead of looking at, at all of Manhattan, they'd be looking at a building across the street. So we, we told them that. And uh, we actually uh, closed almost every one of those deals, except they were all contingent upon the developer getting financing, which you can't get without a major tenant. And the reason nobody else really worked on that building because they, they're they not gonna work on a building that may never be built. <laughs> we, we could afford taking the risk. So uh, we get a call one day, Friday, to uh, come over to the developer's office and I said, gee, what did we do? Did we do something wrong? He said, I want to let you know, but I don't want anybody else to know. I signed the lease this morning with Pan Am, who were taking the whole base of the building. They're moving all their offices here, and the ground floor will be their ticket office. And it became the Pan, known as the Pan Am building, if you remember. And uh, there we were. How old were you then? You know, oh, oh, I was 24, 25, and uh, very experienced. <laughs> did, did you get an exclusive to uh, rent there? No, no, no. We just were authorized to offer it to them. And, uh, you know, so the people had signed these letters of intent, which were really pretty well negotiated as if it were a lease, and they all were activated if by a certain date the owner got his um, his financing, uh, which happened. 
So we grew our staff. We, we, we were running the leasing department at 25, which was basically a, a, an old, we used to call white shoe residential real estate firm. And uh, one day I get a call from a developer from Fisher Brothers, Larry Fisher. And uh, by then, Erwin uh, Wilson, the developer of 200 Park Avenue, had appointed Cushman and Wakefield uh, to be their exclusive agent, which they had to a, had a rent a million and a half feet. And um, we, I went to Larry Fisher's office and he said, I hear you're a hotshot kid. I said, well, I've been called better. I've been called worse. And uh, he said, uh, you know, Leon Peters, who was the head of Christian Wayfield, said, yeah, there's one there's one young guy that's making a lot of these deals. I don't know how he's doing it, but you want to meet him because, you know, he'll he'll hustle for you. And sure enough, the Fisher brother gave us this agency on a million foot building. They were by then I had matured. I was almost 26, you know. <laughs> uh, I remember you were considered and, at that time as one of the major uh oh, I, I met you later than that, and you were yeah. Consider one of the major real estate dealers in the city. Yeah, well, you know, well, by then I was uh, ready to to leave because we had uh, my partner Ian Brantley and John White, who was the teacher, who was uh, one of the best appraisers in New York, and a few others put together a deal when I was twenty eight to buy the company and to spread the payments out over several years to the three original owners of the company. Anyway, um, it went pretty smooth in negotiations, except the week before the closing, the partner that handled negotiations with me and my partner and one other person from the firm said, uh, we've gotten another offer. I said, what, what, what offer? He said, well, we've got an offer, which was the same as yours was, except they're going to pay cash. When we had gone to the bank to take out loans and everything else, I said, how can you do that? You know, we don't have access to to, to all that cash. I said, well, what does what Harry, Harry Hemsley need, need this for? Small potatoes compared to Hemsley's spear. And uh, that was it. We, we, were really upset because it was the old partners who were looking to cash out and wanted to sell and approached us first. Well, I made one of the first probable mistakes. I quit. And uh, I quit before knowing where the heck I was going. <laughs> and then I, I said, gosh, I don't want to go to another big firm and have all these politics. I was so that up, I, I think we ought to go in business for ourselves. And uh, someone who is unique in the business, Joseph Bernstein, always captivated my, he was a one man office and yet made about 20% of the major deals. And it, <laughs> I could never figure what, what was his secret. So my partner and I went over there and we saw his secret was hard work. He worked 24 seven, 
and uh, it taught us a lot. I, I, I got a, quite an education. But what, I can, uh, what were some of the major projects people might remember that you've been part of? Well, once uh, I, 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 I guess the I guess the major ones that we did in the Pan Am building when we really started, and then the next big one uh, was when we uh, got the agency of that Fisher Brothers building, where we got it rented. Finally, the building to Burroughs and other good tenants. We were representing Blue Cross at that time, uh, but this is already uh, after we we parted company with Joe, and he said, wait until you get a real good, because I told him I thought I'd like a larger operation and whatever. So he said, wait until you get hired. And what went what, 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 So we were approached by someone, and it was a, a, an online company called William A. White & Sons, which was uh, a much... Uh, larger than where we were at Brown Harris Stevens. And we wound up making a deal with Lou Smadbeck, who had bought a third of the company. And we bought the other two thirds, my partner and I. And uh, that, that, that was probably the best thing I ever did because John White became my partner. He came with us, but uh, he was very influential in in having me get to where I was. And then some of the biggest deals were during a bad time in the office market, which was as, <laughs> as difficult now as it was in those days. Uh, the Tishman Company had completed two big, over a million square foot buildings and they were empty. So I was representing Blue Cross who would only own and they consolidated from three locations and they had a consultant and uh, I suggested the building at 622 Third Avenue, which we actually wound up selling to Blue Cross who occupied the whole How building. How many square feet was that? It was about a million, around a million feet, yeah. You, did you ever, began, I have to interrupt you because we're going to be running short of time, but so did you ever, were you ever involved in uh, any uh, real estate uh, transactions out here in the eastern end of Long Island? Yeah, we bought the old Deering Harbor Inn. Yeah. And, uh, we had it, and uh, but never really, and then we made it into a co-op. And uh, after we sold our big home on Shelter Island, we, we wound up, renting one of the villas that we used to own by coincidence, which had all been fixed up. So it was a, it was ironic, but no, I never did any. Well, oh, but you became, I, I a, you and Adrian became major sponsors and donators to uh, uh, Bay Street. That, that yeah, is. Well, Adrian, yeah, Adrian and I loved it. And we, uh, it was struggling like a lot of other nonprofits. But uh, they had a magic there because they had some wonderful uh, people. But the problem was, how do you get people to go during the week in really a vacation spot? And Adrian, you know, went on the board, and we were very active there. And uh, 
helped keep it alive over the bad years. And that was that was great. And the other great thing I think we did in Sag Harbor was we got involved in the Temple on Israel. And of course, that was just completely redone. And that was really initiated by a major gift from Ronald Lauder, which was a matching gift. And that was just completed this season and was still very active. In, in, in both organizations and, and others. Well, thank you for the time. We've run through it. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast. And and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye.